joining us today. I hope you've had a, a wonderful week today. If you have your Bible, if you'll turn with us to the book of Matthew chapter 5 and the book of Acts chapter 4, I believe God has a fresh word for you today that will begin to encourage your heart and will even change your life. Join us, if you will, for this message this morning, rebelling against the status quo. Rebelling against status quo. See, a lot of times when we begin to be overcome with idols, we talked about worshiping ourselves last week. It leads to dead-end streets. As Kent said, that he was on the pathway to being dead. He decided to take his life. Today, God has gloriously transformed his life, and he is fixing to plant a church in South Carolina. You can give the Lord a hand for that, amen. Praise the Lord. Devil lost. But he's always lost. People just believe he's a winner. Today I was going to share with you a sermon on uh, rebelling against religion. I just really felt the Lord leading me in this direction. Um, rebelling against the status quo. I want to share a scripture with you. It's in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, your handout, say Matthew 4. Uh, the Lord kind of redirected me this week, and so I was writing this sermon in and, in and out of airports and airplanes and everything else, so uh, we had the wrong text there in your handouts. But Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled down under the feet of men. But you are not only the salt of the world, you are the light of the world. You are a city situated on a hill that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather a lampstand and gives it light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory and honor to, he to the Father in heaven. Do not assume that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now skip with me down to verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. That scripture really grabbed hold of me, verse 20. Unless it surpasses... Unless our, our relationship with God surpasses religion, then we will only live a life of status quo. And as we look at this this morning, what does it mean to surpass? It means you will never end, you will never find, or you will never accomplish. That's what he was saying in this passage of Scripture. And so as we begin to think about this, there's interesting things here. And as we begin to think in the unless, unless we abandon ourselves, we will never fully be able to grab and, and, and hold and cling to the eternal principles of what God has for our life. But I wonder today how many of us have already grabbed hold of that principle of eternal life. We've grabbed hold of that principle of salvation. We've grabbed hold of that principle of redemption. But yet in every other area we have just settled. Today there are more people who are on antidepressants and things of that nature than ever before in the history. And one of the reasons is, is because where there is no vision, people perish. And I'm not speaking about vision for a church. 
That's for another day. I'm speaking about vision for your personal life. What do you strive for? What do you believe in? What do you cling to? What do you rely on? What is God doing in your life? What are you stretching out for? Today, as we think about this, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. What are we doing with the light? We don't think much about light today because it comes so easily. Everywhere we go, there's light. They just flip the switch and the light is there. But in the life of Jesus and in previous years in American history, light did not come by very easily. You had to really want it. You had to really work for it to achieve light. But in light, things could happen. In light, things could begin to transform. In light, life continued. Without life at night, life ended. People went to bed. People talk about when they were a boy, they used to get up early, go to bed early. Well, I know you went to bed early. It, it was an effort to stay up late. It was an effort to stay long. It was an effort to linger. And today, as we think about this, God has given us this marvelous, magnificent light. But the question is, what are we doing with the light? What have we done with the light? Does it shine in our life? What have we done with the life that God has given us? And then most of all, what have we done with our lifestyles? What have we done in our life with the light? God is up to some big things in our heart and our life. So here's his disciples he looks at him and he says, guys, you are the light of the world. You are the city on a hill. You are the hope of the world. You are the hope of forgiveness. You are the hope of redemption. You are the hope of restoration. And God begins to stir their heart. Turn with me over to the book of Acts. I want to show you an example of the same men. Jesus was speaking to them here about being the light of the world. But in Acts chapter 4, there's a whole other passage of Scripture. And I want to catch you up on what's happened because I don't have time for the whole chapter this morning. But basically, Peter and John were walking by and there was this crippled man who had been there for 40 years. A cripple, couldn't walk. Somebody had to take him anywhere he went. And he was standing at the gate begging for alms. And Peter and John looked at him as he was shaking his little can, clinking some, some, some change around. And he says, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I want to make sure they didn't confuse him with Jose down the street. Get up and walk. And the man immediately gained strength in his legs and he stood up and he began to walk and he began to leap all about. And he began to praise God. <clears throat> and everyone knew that it was the man who laid at the gate begging for alms. And things began to happen, and they began to, he began to glorify God. The people began to glorify God, and that takes us to our scripture this morning. In verse 13, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John, they realized that they were uneducated and unlearned men, untrained, and they were amazed. And when they knew, but they knew they had been with Jesus, and since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them 
and had nothing to say in response. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign evident to all those who are in Jerusalem have been done through them, and we cannot deny it. But so this doesn't spread any further among the people. Let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in that name again. So they called for them and ordered them to preach and to teach, but not in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, What is right in the sight of God and for us? To listen to you or rather listen to God? To decide, for we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. After threatening them further, they released them because they found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom the miracle had been performed. After they were released, they went to their own fellowship. Now skip down with me if you would to verse 29. Here's these guys immediately released, and they said, And now, Lord, consider their threats, and give your slaves, that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness, while you stretch out your hand for healings, signs, and wonders to be performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus Christ. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken because of the power. Of God. Here's a couple things I want you to understand this morning. I want to ask you this. Are you living beyond status quo? Because when you begin to move forward in your own personal life, we begin to see great things happen. And then all of a sudden, our enemy begins to attack us and it gets hard and we just settle in. We just settle in. And we don't strive for perfection. We don't strive to see what it is that God really wants to do in our hearts and life. What does it mean to be status quo? What does status quo mean? Well, the definition of status quo is simply just existence. It's just a state or just the existing state of affairs. I'm afraid today there are a lot of believers who are born again, blood-bought, sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is just existing in the state of affairs that they have. I want you to know something today on the authority of the Word of God. That Jesus Christ did not go to the cross of Calvary for you just to exist. Can I say that again? Jesus Christ did not go to Calvary for you just to exist, but for you to excel. For you to be victorious. Jesus just did not die for you to have life. He died for you to have an abundant life. And there's one thing. There's one thing to always never be satisfied. But there's something else to be satisfied with something less than what God intended for you. And I want to ask you this question today. The reason these disciples were shaking the world was because it was not about the disciples. It was about the master. They did not have the ability to shake the world. And the religious people, the smart people, the people in Cambridge of our society would have known that they were not smart because their Cambridge society said, these boys don't have anything. 
We know they're untrained. We know they're unlearned. But man, they've been with Jesus. And if you have been with Jesus, it makes all the difference in the world. I had some time to uh, uh, spend this week with a young pastor who pastors one block off of Bourbon Street. Boy, did I get some good stories. And uh, God called him to Bourbon Street, and he didn't want to go. And, uh, man, all, all week, he was like, well, we only, or the days that I was with him, he was like, well, we only have this amount, we only have this amount. And, and then he was like, I'm, I'm, I'm limited because I don't have a degree. And on the way back to the airport, we was in the back of a minivan, and uh, he was sitting across from me, and we got in there where you returned your car, and I looked over at him, and I said, there's two things I never want to hear you say again. We only have. I said, the problem is you're counting too baptistic. You're only counting what you have on Sunday morning. But on every Friday, they do showers for the homeless. And they open their church up and let them come in and take baths and there's over a hundred people that come every Friday for showers and, and they share the gospel. I said dude, your, your congregation just quadrupled in size from what you've been saying to all these people around us. The problem is you count too small. God wants to do something bigger in your life than what you realize. Don't ever say I only have and then number two don't ever say I'm not qualified. Because God's not looking for the qualified to quantify. He wants to quantify through the unqualified. And when the unqualified comes, he will begin to qualify them. A lot of times people are too smart to be used for God. I mean, look at Moses. He had all the training in the world, but God had to send him into the wilderness to be dumbed down. To be used for the glory of God. Why? Education's not bad and everybody should get it. That's not what I'm saying. But education many times can get in the way. And we begin to depend upon our education and not upon the power of God. You can have education and not have God's power. And have a powerless ministry. A fruitless ministry. A fruitless life. But you can have no education and the power of God and have a fruitful life. It's not who you know. It's not where you've been. And it's not what t-shirt are you wearing. It's have you been with Jesus? Have you spent time with Jesus? Have you agreed with Jesus about what he has in store for your life? These guys in this passage of scripture, they experienced joy. They experienced joy. They had joy on the way to the temple without an education. They had joy on the way to the tabernacle with not nothing in their pocket, with no silver, with no gold in their pocket, with no coins to rub together. They had nothing, but they had joy. You can have everything in the world, but not have joy, and you feel void and bankrupt. That's why so many wealthy people are taking their lives. It's not because their lives is broken. It's not because... They, they're looking for something and they can't find it anywhere. And they feel void. And that life is not worth living. These two guys didn't have anything, but i tell you what they did have. They did not have an ordinary life. Their life was not humdrum. 
their life had power, their life had purpose, their life had vision, and they were living above the status quo line. I was visiting with someone this week, and I said, are you satisfied? As a very young man, with living the rest of your life below the poverty line. It seemed that he was about a third generation to live below the poverty level. I said, now are you satisfied with that? If you are, I will leave you alone. If you're not, then I want to help you. If you're not, I want to be part of what God is doing in your life that's bigger. He really didn't know how to ask, answer such a straight on question. But I want to ask you a question. Are you tired of living below the status quo line? Because if you are living below or at the status quo line, then you are living in the spiritual poverty line. You are living in the poverty line of no joy, of life, and not life abundantly. And I want you to know that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did not go to the cross for you to live the rest of your life below the poverty level of your spiritual journey. God has got a plan for you. God has got a purpose for you. God has got a will for you. And He wants you to grab it. He wants you to achieve it. He wants you to strive for it. These guys didn't have anything in the world standards, but they had everything in the standard of joy. There was something else they had. They had power. Silver and gold have I none. But what I do have in the name of Jesus, I give you get up and walk. It wasn't in the name of the healer. It wasn't in their name. It wasn't in the name of their denomination. It wasn't in the name of their church. It wasn't in the name of their crusade. It wasn't in the name of their website. Christy told me the other day, she said, I draw the line. If you ever show up with at uh, some website, at your name.com, that's it. It's time for you to have a reality check. Because it's not about me. It wasn't about these guys. It was about their master. When they went back, where did they go back to? They went back to the power of the, in their inner room when they said, don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And they said, Lord, we're, give us boldness to preach. And God, you stretch forth your hand. They knew it wasn't in their hankies that they had. They knew it wasn't in their clothes that they were wearing. They knew it wasn't in their own life. They knew their power came through the supernatural presence of a holy God. And they said, Jesus, if you don't do it, it won't be done. They experienced joy. They experienced power. They experienced adversities. They were arrested. They were thrown in prison. Don't you preach anymore in the name of Jesus. Now here's where we are in America. He didn't tell them they couldn't preach. He didn't tell them they couldn't heal the sick. He didn't tell them they couldn't help the needy. He said, you, you can go preach and you can go do ministry and you can go heal people, but you make sure you don't do it in the name of Jesus. And at that moment, they had a decision to make. We can either keep doing ministry in freedom, without power, without joy, or we can do it in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. They could have had a status quo ministry at that point. But they decided, no, it's not going, we're not going to settle for that. We'd rather be in prison preaching Jesus than on the streets preaching freedom. They experienced adversity. 
but their adversities gave them strength. Their adversities gave them courage. Their adversities gave them boldness. And they said, guys, this isn't right. I'm going to tell you what we need is born again, blood bought, sealed with the spirit, believers to rise up where they are, right in their cubicle, right in their truck, right on their field, right where they work, right where they are, and say, I am no longer satisfied without without living my life without power, living my life without the presence of God, and living my life that it would not make a difference for the glory of God. The horrible tragedies that we have faced this week as a country, especially in Boston. One of the guys posted on his Facebook page, and he said, the problem is America has no morals. They have nothing to live for. And as wick and sick and perverted and twisted as that guy was, that he blew up people, he's dead right. America has lost every sense of direction, and we're in a flat-out tailspin, living a life as status quo believers. But God is calling us out today, saying, do you want to make a difference? You can. Do you want to make a difference? You can. Are you willing to? Or will you just cower down and say, I'll be quiet. I'll just do my own thing. I'll just sing my own praises. No longer has to be about Jesus. They experience adversity. They experienced joy. And the place where they were gathered together was shaken. It was shaken. And they received boldness. And they received courage. The Baptist denomination has decided after much studying and demographics, that they have to plant 1,000 new churches a year to stay at the same place they were in January. If they plant 999 churches, then they're in the deficit. So to, at the end, of, from January to February, or January, January, if they, if they want to stay at the same place, they have to plant at least 1,000 churches a year. Now, that's just the group that I know the numbers on. Trust me, it's like that with all the rest. 1,000. That means every year 1,000 churches are going out of business. Why? It's not because Jesus doesn't have no power. It's not because he squandered it all in the book of Acts. It's not because miracles no longer cease, uh, see, miracles cease to happen. It's not because God no longer heals. It's not because God's out of love. It's not because God's impatient. Trust me, if he is impatient, he'd wrap this thing up a long time ago. It's not because our God is empty, anemic, inept. It's not because he no longer cares. It's because we no longer strive. We no longer move forward today. Would you be willing? Would you be willing to get above the poverty line in your personal life, in your family life, in your spiritual life, in your marriage? Would you be willing? What does that look like? I don't know. I have enough trouble with mine. But I know this. Jesus Christ did not go to Calvary for you to live a status quo life. Today, would you rebel against it and say, I am determined to live on purpose. As we've gone through this sermon today, I hope that the Lord has spoke to your heart. 
I hope that God is beginning to change your life. Today, you do not have to settle for a life of just simple existence. You can have a life of complete victory through Christ Jesus. It all begins whenever we completely give our heart to Him. Today, you can do that very simply by just admitting, admitting that we're a sinner, admitting that we fall short of the grace of God, admitting that we miss the mark, and then believing that Jesus Christ is our victor, believing that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and then commit your life to Him. Today, let me pray for you where you are. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I just pray, Lord, that you will begin to speak to the hearts of the people that are listening. I pray, Lord, that they'd begin to commit their heart and their life to you, God. I pray, Lord, that you would give them the victory to be able to accomplish that which you have set them out to do. And today, God, that they could rebel against anything less than you created them to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.